Sardis was the home of Aesop, the famous author. Many of you have read or are familiar with Aesop's fable. Aesop, that was his home. Uh, at the place of Sardis, gold and silver coins were minted there. That was the very first place, the gold and silver coins that were minted. The city of Sardis was famous for industries that are operated there. It is said that the art of dyeing was started, of dyeing, uh, a manufacture, the dyeing of linen and, and, and wool and things like that. The dyeing was invented at Sardis. Carpet, wool, and dyed cloth were the primary products down there at Sardis. Sardis was known for its temple and a theater that it could accommodate, if you can believe this, 12,000 to 15,000 people at one time. Sardis was considered back around 515 B.C. as one of the greatest cities of its time. It reached its zenith under, under King Cressus. King Cressus and Sardis were famed around the world for their wealth. In fact, if you study up a little about Sardis, it was known for a place of great wealthy. And they coined a phrase, as wealthy as Cressus, named after the king. It was a very, very wealthy city. And so hence it was a city that was always had to be a vigilant and protective of attack. To become wealthy. To become very good at your manufacture, you've got to stay at it. You've got to keep reinventing yourself. You've got to keep accumulating. You've got to keep at that thing. Because if you don't, you start to go on a downward decline. The city was known for its beautiful streets. A colonnaded marble street, which was the main street. And so it was a great city there. But if all we talked about was the city, we would miss the most important thing for us as believers. Because the most important thing about Sardis was not just his wealth, not just his fame, not just his manufacturing facilities, but bless God, thank God there was a church that was down there at Sardis. Thank God that somebody put on, God put on some man's heart to go there and start a New Testament church, to start an independent Bible-believing, fundamental Baptist preaching a church there, a sowing church, a church that was established there, a church was there. <coughs> reaching people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was a thriving church. It was a notable church. It was a church that Jesus loved. It was a church that Jesus had watched, and he wrote a letter to that church. The time of the writing of this letter, well, I'll say more about this during the message, the city of Sardis was on a decline. They weren't even coasting. The city was on a decline. Its manufacturing had declined. His popularity had shifted from being popular to less popular. Its wealth was on a decline. It was not necessarily the place to go if you wanted to become wealthy. And just as the city was on a decline, that church at Sardis was on a decline. We see this evening a church that was in need of a wake-up call from our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, tonight, that church was called dead. It was called dead. And tonight, our churches are either dead or they're alive. As a Christian, you're either dead or you're alive. You're either dead or you're alive. And so tonight, let's examine this church. Was it dead, as Jesus said, or did it have life? Number one, if you'll follow the outline tonight, I want you to notice the report to the church. The report to the church. Our G Lord Jesus Christ makes a report to the church. Notice in verse 1, the first thing we see about the report is he makes a report about his person. 
You know, the most important person in church is Jesus. Amen? The most important person that must be at church every single service is Jesus. Now, Jesus is there. The question is, do we acknowledge that he's there? And in verse 1, as he did with all the other, the other letters he wrote, he said to the pastor, to the church of Sardis, he said unto the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, Jesus makes a report in his, about his person. Notice, first of all, he speaks about the vitality of the church. He speaks about the all-encompassing perfection of the Spirit of God. Over there in Isaiah 11.2, we saw this last week, I think it was Isaiah 11.2, reference is given to the seven spirits of God. You can turn there later and look at that. And the seven spirits of God represent the completeness of the Holy Spirit. The seven spirits of God, which is repeated again in the book of Revelation, the comprehensiveness of the Holy Spirit, and the seven spirits speak about the capability of the Holy Spirit. I believe Jesus, as he's writing to this church, he says, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God. I think he was reminding us that as a church, we must not be void of having the Spirit's presence. And we must not be void of the Spirit of God speaking to our heart and working our midst. Even right now, we've prayed over this service and the service this morning that the Holy Spirit of God would have full range and full liberty of working your heart and mind. The seven spirits of God, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of knowledge and understanding, the Spirit of wisdom. I'm saying tonight, there's the vitality of the church, churches that are alive. Churches that are revived, churches that are on fire, churches that are doing something great for God. These are spirit-anointed churches, spirit-filled churches. And remind you tonight, we must not try to operate outside of the Holy Spirit. And we must not try to pray without praying in the Holy Spirit. And we must not try to labor and do the work of God apart from the Holy Spirit of God. So Jesus comes by representing his vitality. But notice he says something else in verse 1. He represents his person through his voice. These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God. And would you notice the seven stars? The seven stars represent the pastors of the local churches. He calls them angels or messengers because angels are messengers. And the voice of the church is the voice of the local New Testament church pastor who stands behind the pulpit. And claims 1 Peter 5, 2, to feed the flock of God which is among us, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, nor for filthy lucre, but of a willing mind. Neither is being lords over God's heritage, but examples to the flock. The voice of the church is the pastor. If you were with us on Wednesday night, it was we uh, were doing our study through 1 Corinthians, the question was on the message was, what about preaching? And we gave a, we gave a, just a full Bible study pre message on preaching. And I remind you tonight, you need preaching. You need the preaching of God's Word. You need God's Word preached to each and every word. If you're at the place in your life where you feel that you don't need preaching, you need to check your heart in with God and say, God, forgive me, because preaching humbles us, and preaching reveals what's inside of us, and preaching stirs us. Listen, God uses those seven stars, those pastors, the local New Testament churches, to speak to us. And listen, during this time, while we're going through this turmoil in our country, we need preaching more than ever before. And I'm going to tell you tonight, church, when we get out of this mess that we're in, we need preaching more than we had it before all this stuff happened there. Jesus comes in person, but notice, secondly, 
Jesus made a report about his person. But notice, secondly, he made a report about their past. Now, Jesus says something interesting about this church. Because he's not talking about, first, where they were at. He was talking where they once were at. Where they were once at. And he says, would you notice verse 1? I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest. And the word hast is talking past tense. Thou hast a name, that thou livest. Jesus is referring to the reputation of this church. The past is everything we did leading to the present. This morning's service was the past. Just two weeks ago, we assembled as a church. Our last time we assembled together, that was the past. I know thy works. Thou has a name. He's talking about their reputation. He said, he, you see, he was referring to their popularity. Sardis was popular. Other churches in Asia Minor knew that church. Paul knew that church. In fact, Paul may have had a part in starting that church when those men went out of Ephesus back there in Acts 18 and went out throughout all of Asia Minor and spread the gospel. He knew their popularity. He knew their, about their performance. He knew what they did. Hey, this was a church just like Heritage Baptist Church. I still remember the day when our church had its grand opening. Man, there, man the, our, our church, just a small group of people got the word out. And I'm thankful on that morning, I still know, I, that afternoon, we had 232 people in attendance on the grand opening service at the church there at the Oakland Asian Cultural Center. God knows our performance. He knows every ministry of our church. This was a church that had ministries like ours. This was a church that perhaps had a choir ministry, an orchestra ministry. They didn't have an AV ministry, but I'm sure they had something probably primitive to those times to help them make sure that the preacher got up to preach and maybe someone took care of having a pulpit and maybe someone made sure that the word of God, the scrolls that they used were held open. They had a soul winning ministry. They had classes. They had teaching. They had something that ministered to children. They had something that ministered to orphans. They had something that ministered to the elderly. They had something that ministered to, to the, the homeless. They had something that ministered to people that were hurting. I mean, they had their various ministries. He knew their performance. He said, I know thy work. He knew every ministry. And I want to tell you tonight, church, Jesus Christ knows every ministry of Heritage Baptist Church. He knew about their performance. He knew about their popularity. He knew about their programs. I'm thinking back as we've been trying to deal with our circumstance and think about how to do ministry differently and do it right, not make knee-jerk reactions. But I'm thinking about 2019, right at this time, we were getting ready and very actively involved, aggressively involved, and in having a great Easter outreach. Not long after that, we had a, a great ladies' fellowship meeting. Not long after that, we had a first responder Sunday in honor of our first responders and had several saved. Not long after that, we had a kids camp. And we had other things going during the summer that saw kids saved, adults saved. I'm thankful for a couple families that got saved that are in our church because of that. Not long after that, we had our missions conference. What a great missions conference that was. We had some great missionaries that came and great preaching. And we had an over-the-top faith promise commitment. And by the way, let me encourage you, stay on your faith promise commitments. Not long after that, we had a friend day. We had a couples conference here at our church in the courtyard. Not long after that, we had our fall revival meetings. Great preaching of God's word. 
Not long after that, our people labored together, and we, right after our friend day, we had a Thanksgiving banquet. That was well attended. And then not long after that, we had a Christmas music, and I know our people were, were tired, but we had a, just a robust fall program leading into winter with many that were reached, many that were saved, many that we've even been in contact with over these last few days, just encouraging them to watch live stream and letting them know we're praying for them. Jesus knew about their programs, and he knows about our programs. This was a church that had a name. Hey, we have a name too. We have a name we better hold high. We better have a name that we hold in high repute. We, better, we have a name we better not soil. We have a name we better not mess up. Listen, you represent Heritage Baptist Church wherever you go. If you get tempted to do something that's outside of God's will and do something that's unbiblical and do something that's rebellious, I remind you tonight, you take the name of Heritage Baptist Church with you and you're not going to be able to hide from it and you're going to soil the name of Jesus Christ if you're not very careful. Jesus made a report about his person. He made a report about their past. But would you notice this part here? Would you notice verse 1 and 2? Jesus gave them a report about their pulse. Jesus gave them a report about their pulse. When you take your pulse, you're trying to find out how alive are you. Strong pulse means there's life. A weak pulse means life is not so good. No pulse means there is no life. Jesus took their pulse. He's taking our pulse tonight. He's taking your pulse tonight. He said, I know thy works. Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. In taking their pulse, he's speaking about their present, about their reality. He spoke about the pastor and the church at Sardis. You see, the city of Sardis had one time been a thriving city. When the Romans came, and this was during the Roman Empire, Sardis was still a wealthy, powerful city, but it was just a shell of what it once was. Sardis, as I said earlier, was on a decline. It was losing its popularity. It had lessened its performance. It stopped its programs. Its industries were not being cared for. It was not being innovative. And Jesus said, I know thy works. You see, my friend, tonight, churches must be a thermostat and not a thermometer. Churches must be a thermostat and not be a thermometer. A thermostat, you set the temperature. A thermometer lets the outside events determine what the temperature is. You see, when a church is in the world doing what the church should be doing, it's a thermostat. It sets the temperature. It sets things in motion. But when the church, when the world gets into the church, when the world gets into the church, then the world has affected the church, and it, the church becomes more of a thermometer instead of a thermostat. And listen, listen. Churches take on the character of the city and the area they're in. They take on the character of the area that they're in. Now, either as a church, we are affecting our area, where our prominence out there, people know there's a church and there's people being picked up and people being ministered to and people being reached or they don't even know we exist. And listen, either we are affecting the area or the area is affecting us. 
And so Sardis mirrored its city. It was a church that had organization, but it ceased to be an organism. It was a church that had form, but little to no function. It was a church that was active, it had activity, but it lost its ardency. It was a church that had habits, it was a church that was not hot. It was a church, Jesus said, he said, you're dead. You have no pulse. Dead churches are lifeless. Dead churches reduce or kill programs. Dead churches don't pray. Dead churches don't miss church. Dead churches have fewer services and cut the preaching. Dead churches lose their zeal for winning souls. Dead churches have little participation. Dead churches can't get its members to give. Dead churches can't get men called to the ministry. Dead churches can't get people to give to special programs. Dead churches have no faith. Dead churches have no vision. Dead churches have no vigor or excitement. Dead churches are filled with dead Christians. Dead churches have no pulse. Jesus said, thou art dead. He said, you have no pulse. John Stott said, its works were beautiful grave clothes, which were about a thin disguise for this ecclesiastical corpse. I want to ask you tonight, I want to ask you tonight, are you dead or are you alive? Are you dead or are you alive? Has COVID-19 got the best of you? And COVID-19 put you on retreat? Instead of having your devotions, you're having less devotions. Instead of praying, you're less praying. Instead of getting involved and being concerned about the work of God, you're disconnected. Are you dead or are you alive? We see Jesus gives a report. But notice secondly tonight, go to verses 2 and 3, which you notice Jesus gives a remedy. I'm thankful as I studied this passage of Scripture, I'm reminded that Jesus came to them as a preacher. Jesus came to them as the sovereign, holy, spotless, all-powerful Lord and Son of God. Amen. But Jesus also came to them as a great physician. And I'm thankful in the midst of everything right now we're going on, we have a great physician who doesn't fail us. We have a great physician who has the vaccine, amen? We have a great physician who has the remedy, amen? We have a great physician who has the cure. We have a great physician who's care, who cares. We have a great physician who's not overburdened. We've got a great physician where the hospital, there's no, where there's not a shortage of hospital beds. We have a great physician who can take care of the needy. He, we've got a great physician to take care of your hurting soul. Listen, if you're going through depression, you're going through anxiety, you're going through problems, you're anger and all this kind of stuff, we have a great physician that can take care of all those needs tonight. So Jesus, Dr. Jesus, I'm going to call him Dr. Jesus tonight. Is that all right? Dr. Jesus comes to the congregation of Sardis Baptist Church. He comes to that congregation. And I want you to see some things tonight because he's going to give them a diagnosis and he's going to give them a remedy. First of all, notice in verse 2, Dr. Jesus tells them reality. Let's get real tonight. Amen? He gives them reality. What you notice, verse 2, latter part of verse 2, last part of verse 2. He says, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. 
He said, you're dead because I have not found your works perfect through God, before God. I want you to write this down in your notes. The word perfect is not the typical word we think of teleos in the Greek, which represents full maturity, perfection, if you would. It is the Greek word pleru. It means to fill to the top or to the brim, to furnish liberally, to execute and fulfill. You know what Jesus is saying? Look up here, church. Get your eyes on me right now. You know what Jesus is saying right there? I know thy works. He said, I I have not found thy works perfect before God. You know what he's saying? You're not giving your best. You are underperforming. You're not doing what pastor asked you to do. You're not doing what God told pastor to tell you to do. You are underperforming. You're not getting the job done. You're not making calls. You're not visiting. You're not, you're not doing the things you should be doing. You're sitting there waiting for things to happen, waiting for orders. He said to this church, you have these ministries. And he says, I have found, not found thy works perfect before God. He's saying the church did less than what was best. He's saying you're not getting something important done. He said, church, the reason why you're dead, you're not getting it done. You've let things slip and slide. You haven't got things done. Listen tonight, are there things you have not gotten done? It's reality. It's reality. Secondly, he told them they needed revival. Look at verse 2. Be watchful. In other words, wake up. Back before we had cell phones that gave us all the alarm clock features, I remember traveling on business. And you go to a different area, different city, different time zone. And you knew as you got in that night, it was important you had to get up really early. And you wound up losing, if you're on the East Coast, three hours of time. And you made sure you got a wake-up call. Hotels had those wake-up calls. You might remember that. And you'd set it in motion, wake me up at such and such time, because if you know your flesh, your flesh, 6 o'clock East Coast time, is 3 a.m. West Coast time. And if you know your flesh, you know that if you don't, if you don't have that wake-up call, there's a chance you might say five more minutes, and it might wind up being five more hours. Amen? And so you'd have that wake-up call, and you might be sluggish, and your eyes would be very heavy, and your mind might be very broggy, but you're thankful for the wake-up call. You put out the alarm because you also set it for a second and third wake-up call so to make sure you get out of bed. You know what Jesus is doing here? He set the alarm, and he said, be watchful. He set the alarm, and the alarm went off. He said, wake up. In other words, you need revival. Notice verse 3. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. Revival involves repentance. What we lack in this generation is repentance. What we lack in this generation is a contrite heart. What we lack in this generation is people feeling sorry for their sins, not sorry for themselves. What we lack is people having sorrow. In fact, not even just being sorry, having sorrow over their sins, being broken. Listen, when was the last time you told Jesus, Lord, help me to help me to be broken over my sins, just like you're broken over my sins? Revival means giving immediate attention. Revival means you're dying and you need to get out of that state. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard. 
Be watchful. Be watchful. Peter, James, and John were sleeping in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus said, watch and pray. He had to wake them up. Eutychus fell asleep in church and he fell out the window. People that fall asleep in church, you're going to fall out. You're going to hit your head. You're going to have a rude awakening. Wake up. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up to reality. It's time to wake up to revival. Then notice Jesus says something else. He told them about reality. He told them about revival. Notice in verse 2, he told them they needed to reinforce. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. Strengthen or bolster, fortify, reinforce the things that remain, that are hanging by a thread, that are ready to die. Now I'm calling out the church tonight. I know we're watching my live stream, and I'm not angry with anybody. Don't, don't get that, don't get the idea I'm angry with anybody. I'm just burdened after reading, studying this message. Don't let the singles ministry die. Don't let the college ministry die. Don't let that teenager ministry die. Don't let our language ministries die. Don't let so many discipleship die. Don't let our transportation ministry die. Don't let our song service die. Don't let our choir die. Don't let our orchestra die. Don't let every ministry, don't let our nursery die and our usher's ministry die. Listen, tonight, he said, you need to, listen, he said, be watchful and strengthen the things that are remain, that are ready to die. You better ask yourself this question. If there's a decline, if things are just going status quo, if nothing's happening, people have gotten saved, if you've been on vacation more than you've been at, been here, it's time to wake up and strengthen the things that remain. Get back to soul winning. Use prayer works and God, contact 20 people tomorrow that you don't know. Be productive. We need to tighten up loose ends. We need to make what was weak strong again. We need to give life to that which is dying. People that have the COVID-19 virus right now, they're hospitalized. They're on oxygen respirators. They're being administered antibiotics and other things. And if they have a weak immune system and a weak respiratory system, the medical community is watching them that they don't die. And they're doing everything they can to strengthen them so they don't die. And Jesus said, hold fast. Hold fast. Get a tight grip on Put a tight grip on it. Things that die because you've loosened your grip. He told this church in his remedy about reality. He told this church in his remedy about revival. He told this church in his remedy they need to reinforce. But you notice in verse 3, he told this church there could be regrets. You know the worst thing? is not following the advice of your doctor. The worst thing is telling your doctor to go away, to ignoring his advice for what you need. And Jesus told them, notice verse 3, If therefore thou shalt not watch, 
I will come on thee as a thief, and thou will not know what hour I will come upon thee. Our Lord is talking about the rapture. The rapture, no eye will see him. At the rapture, it will occur in the twinkling of an eye. The rapture is imminent. The rapture could happen right now. I'm praying for that. The rapture could happen at any time. And he characterizes and reminds us, as he did over in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, that he could come like a thief. He's talking about how he could come. Look at it again. If therefore thou shalt not watch, if you don't wake up, if you don't get with it, he said, I'm going to come like a thief. And he says, you will not know when I come. Now let me tell you something. There's the stealth of a thief. You don't know a thief is there. They're stealthy. They're stealthy. There's the stealth of a thief. You don't even know that they're there. You don't have any idea that they're casing your joint. There's the silence of the thief. They're very quiet about what they do. They're so quiet because they don't want the other neighbors and people around your house to know where they're there. They're stealthy. They're silent. But there's the surprise of the thief. When the thief comes, you don't even know that you've been hit. Look at it again. He says, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. You'll be surprised. Let me tell you what. When the rapture comes, it'll be a time of great rejoicing. It'll be a time of great rejoicing. There'll be reunion in heaven. There'll be the redemption of our bodies. We'll have glorified bodies. There'll be reunion with, our, with those who, who preceded us into heaven. We'll, we be, we'll have a reunion time. But it's also going to be a time of regrets. It's going to be a time of regrets for those who did not wake up. It's going to be a time of regrets for those who let things die. It's going to be a time of regrets for those who let things slide. It's going to be a time of regrets for those who did not wake up to the call of Christ and let go of their, they loosened their grip instead of holding fast. He said, listen, he, he said, us, I, 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 I'm not found thy works perfect before God. He said, it's going to be a time of regrets because we've underperformed and didn't give our best. We're floating along. I'm telling you tonight, Jesus came to that congregation. He comes to our congregation. It's timely and it's relevant right now. He comes to us and says, wake up, church. But I'm thankful as we look at verse 4, Dr. Jesus not only came to the congregation, but would you listen to me tonight? Thank God Dr. Jesus came to the committed. The committed. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled the garments. Thank God not everybody was dead. Thank God there were a few who weren't living in sin. Thank God there were a few that were cognizant of the imminent return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for the few that were faithful, that held up the arms of the preacher, that prayed, that went soul winning, and won souls, and did what they did, not to be seen, but to glorify God. He said that was a few names. Hey, thank God there's always a small minority. Hey, thank God there's a Joshua and a Caleb that said, I will, we can take it. We can take that land. Thank God there's always a Hannah that can pray for God's reversal of a life that is just infertile. He said there are a few names. Notice he said, wasn't talking about their works. Did you notice that in verse 3, four, verse 4? He wasn't talking about their works. He was talking about their lives. Listen, right now, you better guard your life. That was a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. 
Garments are symbols of character today as well as then. Back in those days, when you went to the temple of your idol gods, you were supposed to come with clean clothes. You were supposed to dress appropriately. You were not allowed entrance if you had dirty clothes. In fact, just to even justify that, Jesus has a parable he gives us or talks about a man who did not come in the right clothing and he was not allowed. In other words, he would not accept the garments of righteousness which were a gift from God. In other words, he tried to get into heaven with his own dirty garments. I remind you tonight that Jesus has a high standard of appearance. Listen, all this stuff going with the contemporary church, well, let's come dress as we are and let's just be like Saddleback Sam and let's put on our flip-flops and come in our shorts and all that kind of stuff there. Listen, that is an insult to the Savior, to a holy and righteous God. He asks us and requires us to dress appropriately. And if the pagans in those days would dress appropriately, not in defiled garments and not less than their best and look like they rolled out of bed, if they came with their best clothing to the temple, how much more God wants his people to do that? But listen, Jesus is talking about people. He's using garments to picture their lives. He said they didn't defile their lives. They didn't defile themselves with the wrong places, the wrong things. He's saying, keep your life clean. Maintain spiritual purity. You know who these faithful few are? They weren't the most articulate people. They weren't the top ten tithers. They weren't the people that had the winsome personalities and liked to be the life of the room. They weren't the people that gave the pretense they were spiritual. You know who the faithful few are? The faithful few were the ones who kept their lives holy and clean before God. That ought to convict us tonight. Can you imagine with me? Getting ready for surgery. You're the patient to be, the surgery to be performed on. They got you on the gurney. They're about to administer the anesthesia. What would you say if your surgeon, who had all the right credentials, walked up to you, and was eating a pastrami sandwich with spicy mustard all over it and food and gunk all over his hands and his surgical garments his, that he's supposed to wear, the scrubs I guess you call them, soiled and dirty. And you saw blood on there from the last surgery because he didn't change it and all those things. Would you let that surgeon operate on you? Would you, even, would you even dare to let somebody put you to sleep and let them come in like Absolutely not. And you know, and our Savior is telling us this. He said, he said these people, this faithful few, he said, uh, they have not defiled their garments. Listen, churches start to die when people become casual about their lives and about their appearance and about their character. And they live one thing on the outside. There's something else altogether on the inside there. So Jesus said to these people here in verse 4, this committed, faithful group, that was a few names, even as Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. You know what he's saying there? This is a, this is a wonderful promise. Those faithful few, he said, he said he's giving the, something that was very colorful and very, very understandable in their minds. When people walked to a major parade that, honored, that was honoring them, they were required to wear white. And in that white, they would walk with the king and other dignitaries. 
They give demonstration they were faithful. They get demonstration that they were to testify they did what they were supposed to do. And it's a picture of their victory. And they would put on their white togas. And they would walk to the victory banquet. And they would go there. They'd be privileged to sit at the table with the king and those dignitaries those days. Jesus said here, those who do not defile their garments, he says, they shall walk with me in white. Listen, God will give us white clothing. He says, for they are worthy. He rewards us. He acknowledges us for living, living a victorious life in white, living a victorious life in holiness. I'm just saying tonight, Dr. Jesus came to the church in Sardis, and Dr. Jesus gave them a good report. He gave them a good remedy. And what you notice as we close tonight, he gives them a great responsibility. Verse 5. In one verse, he tells us two things. Number one, he tells us the priority of that church. He made it very simple. He that overcometh. He that overcometh. The word overcome, as we've said before, is the word nikos. Nikos. Victory. Overcoming. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. You know tonight what Jesus is saying? Our priority is to live victoriously. Our priority is to overcome. Well, what do we have to overcome? Well, I think, number one, we need to overcome laziness. I think we need to overcome our pride. I think we need to overcome our intellectualism. I think we need to overcome just doing the status quo. I think we need to overcome just listening to all these other people on all these different venues and listen to God. I think we need to overcome our sleepiness. I think we need to overcome a lot of things in our life. I think we need to be achievers. I think what he's saying here, we need to overcome. The, the priority is to be victorious. The priority is to strengthen the things that remain. The priority is to stay pure. The priority is to be holy. The priority is revive that name that was dying. The priority for us tonight is realizing there are some things our Lord has not found perfect. And if you'll be honest with yourself and say, God, would you show me the things I've been underperforming in? Would you show me the things I'm not doing? You'd be surprised what the Lord's going to tell you. But as he tells you, you need to jump up to verse 5 and say, Lord, help me to overcome. Because you know what? You're not going to be able to overcome in your power. You can only overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to overcome in faith. We need to overcome through prayer. We need to overcome through work. We need to overcome through the Word of God. We need to overcome as a team and not individually. We need to overcome as being good church members. Listen, when church, when we come back together, church, you come back revived. You come back on fire. You come back ready to do something. You come back to do more than you've ever done before. You come back to give extra hours and extra time. You come back to help me start some ministries and revive some ministries for God. There's a priority, he that overcometh. But then there's a promise. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. You know, Jesus said in verse 4 to those faithful few, they will be clothed in white raiment. And he says, when we overcome, we will be clothed in white raiment. You know what he's saying? I want to acknowledge you. I want you to be part of the parade. I want you to sit at that banquet. I want you to come before the judgment seat of Christ and receive rewards. He said, I want to clothe you in white raiment. I want to give recognition that you've been victorious, that you won, that you finished the race, that you beat the battle. You did all that was necessary to win. And then secondly, would you notice, what he does, he talk about us getting white raiment. 
He says, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Now, what does that mean? Is that a threat? Absolutely not. That's a promise. You see, Jesus' message was a wake-up call. And some Christians, and even maybe some of you listening tonight, have an insecurity about the forgiveness of your sins. And you subscribe to this thought of the perseverance of the saints that you have to keep working to keep your salvation. Can I tell you some good news? God is the one who does all the keeping. There's nothing we need to do to the keeping. He does all the keeping. Amen? He that has the Son has life. And he that has not the Son of God has not life. He does the keeping. But what's he saying there? Well, when you were born, and we find this over in Exodus chapter 32, when you were born and I was born, God has a book called the Book of Life, and your name went inside that book. Your first birth puts your name in there. When you get saved, your second birth keeps your name in there. The only names that get blotted out are those who at their death have not received Jesus Christ as their Savior. Their names will be blotted out of the book of life. It's kind of like this. There was a reservation for you, but you decided not to claim the reservation, so your name is crossed out. If you're watching tonight and you're not saved, your name is not in that book of life. Your name is going to be blotted. If you die tonight without Jesus, you die 10 years from now without Jesus, your name would be blotted out. Listen, tonight I urge you with all the urging I can to get your name in the book of life by calling upon Jesus Christ to be your Savior. But what's he saying to the church at Sardis? He's saying here, I'm giving you a promise. I just want to give you security. You're not going to lose your salvation. You're not going to lose the free gift of God. Your name stays there. I will not blot out your name in the book of life. And if you're someone who's worried about losing your salvation, I've got good news for you tonight. Right there in that verse, Jesus promises you won't lose it, but he does tell us you need to get back and get serious for God and get busy for the Lord. He'll give us white raiment. He'll acknowledge us. Our names, he reminds us we're secure in him, but I like this last part in verse 5. He says, but I will confess his name before my father for his angels. Keep your finger there and go with me to Matthew 10.32. Matthew 10.32. And we see Jesus reminding them of something he told the disciples when he gave them their crash course on ministry in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10.32. He said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Now I realize tonight, a lot of people are shy. A lot of people don't like talking in public. But Jesus is telling us as we close, when we confess him before men, we testify that he's our Savior. We're not ashamed of him. By the way, the church of Sardis, I can tell you one of the signs, they were dying. They stopped winning souls. They stopped testifying of the Savior. Some of you have not been a soul winning for a long time. You're dying on the inside. You need to get back to soul winning. Some of you have not prayed for more than five minutes at a time. You need to go find yourself a place for 30 to 60 minutes and pray and get your life revived. I'm saying tonight he was telling them, listen, when you confess me before men, 
I will confess you before my Father and the angels. You know what he's saying? The people that he's going to give white to, the people that have overcome, they just decided they're going to be faithful. They just decided they're going to keep on soul winning. They're going to keep on being good church members. And they're going to keep on tithing. They're going to just keep on humbling themselves before God. And they're just going to keep on serving God and finding new ways to honor the Lord. And they're just going to be a blessing and not a discouragement. They just decided they're going to honor God. And Jesus said, you know what? Because you testify of me in public before, because you tell others about me, because your church is encourage you to use the prayer works ministry to connect with people you're you're getting them to talk getting a place we can talk and he says listen there's a time in heaven i will confess you before my father and before the angel and jesus saying here here's this man right here here's this believer who was not ashamed of me he told people about me i want you to know all about him but if you don't confess him he'll deny you before the father and before the angels they'll say but this other one here he had opportunity, but he misused it. He had opportunity and he neglected it. He had opportunity, he didn't use it. He that hath an ear, do you have an ear tonight? Are you listening? Are you obedient? Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Jesus said that church was dead. But he gave them a remedy so they could have life again. And where you're seated tonight, would you get serious with God and for God? Would you kneel? Find your place where you kneel and confess those areas where those works, he's not found perfect before him. You've given less than your best, you've underperformed. I didn't say, I'm just telling you what Jesus said here. There are things dying in your home, things dying in your life. You're dying, or you're going to be alive. He that overcometh. The first step to overcoming tonight is confessing our sins of negligence and absenteeism and slothfulness. Stop talking about what you're doing. Just go do something. Get serious for God. Confess your sin before God. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh his sin shall have mercy. Let's call upon the God of mercy tonight to meet with us and to help us. Are you going to be dead or are you going to be alive?